Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to Sully Baseball. This is the podcast where we talk about baseball 52 weeks out of the year. There's no offseason, and I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording this outside Pasadena, California, in a bluff overlooking historic Rose Bowl, and apparently there is something going on nearby me because there is a helicopter. And this helicopter, and you can probably hear it now in the background, has been circling and circling. And for the last 15 minutes, I've been wanting to record this goddamn podcast. Sorry, Ray. And this blue thunder, Roy Scheider, has been circling around this area, and I don't know what's going on. There's something going on not far away from me, probably nearby the 110 freeway, which takes you from Pasadena to Dodger Stadium. And I decided, you know what the hell with this? I want to record this podcast, and I can't fight this. This is obviously the man. This is obviously uh, some sort of police department, and there's something going around. Something's going around right over there, so who knows what it is. Um, Hopefully it's nothing too terrible. I'm going to go inside. I'm going to shut the door. And if you hear a helicopter in the background, you know what? You're just going to have to deal with it. You're going to have to deal with that. Hey, um, this is my first podcast I've done since talking about uh, Stephen Wright and everything like that with the Red Sox. And, you know, I want to do a fun podcast because this is fun. Baseball is fun. Podcasts about baseball should be fun. And, And I don't like doing things that are not fun. You know, this is the most fun time of the year to be a baseball fan, and I'm not going to let one asshole drag me down. Now, I, one thing I want to talk about, because as you hear me right now, I'm, I'm putting out my notes. Sometimes your pal Sully does these podcasts that you listen to and cherish, and you know you listen to them at the breakfast nook with your family, and you all smile, and you think, oh, Sully, he's at it again. Sometimes I do it extemporaneously, but sometimes I do my notes. Sometimes I type stuff up, and tonight is going to be one of those types of days. Look at as I'm standing here right now, apparently in the line of some helicopter in Los Angeles County, there are five American League teams and, being generous, eight National League teams that have a chance to go to the postseason. I think the American League is wrapped up. The Red Sox are going to win the East. The Indians are going to win the Central. The Yankees are going to be in the wild card game and probably have home field. The only bit of suspense is Houston and Oakland. And quite frankly, I don't (laughs) think they're going to pass each other. Now, as it turns out, you know, I don't think the, the... there's going to be much moving around from Seattle at this point. If they haven't been able to overtake it, I'm sorry. There's only about 20-something games left. I don't see it happening. The National League is still an absolute cluster F, and of which I do believe all of the teams are still contending, yes, including Philadelphia, who are doing their best to eliminate themselves from postseason consideration. Every one of those teams, if you put them in a short series, can win. Yes, Philadelphia is basically putting a bazooka to their foot as the Red Sox have run all over the Braves, giving them a shot to gain ground, and the Phillies can't win a series against the effing Marlins. That's bad. 
That is a lost opportunity, but you could also say they lost the series to the Marlins and gained ground because of how badly the Braves played against Boston. So every team in there, if the Phillies get into the postseason, you can have a uh, Arietta and Nola starting games one and two. Next thing you know, you're up 2 nothing in the division series. Arizona could be excellent in a short series, but right now they're on the outside looking in. Same with Los Angeles. You could say Colorado is flawed, but as it stands right now, they'd be, they'd be in the division series as the, the NL West winner. Milwaukee and St. Louis have their problems, but guess what? In a short series. And the Cubs, who looked like they were taking control of it, stubbed their toe. So every one of those eight teams has a chance to win the pennant. And do you know what? I would say all five American League teams do too. I'm not saying this as someone who's a native New Englander, although I, I have my, uh, I'm waving my finger at the Red Sox right now. I'm a classic Yankee hater. Even though I didn't watch the Red Sox play yesterday, apparently they had a big comeback, uh, I did watch the A's slap the Yankees around, and that is still a wonderful thing to see. The Yankees, as flawed as they are, could win a short series. Now, I think they're in big trouble because Severino looks like he stinks. And I, I don't trust their starting rotation. Uh, I think the Yankees right now are the weakest, have the worst chance of any of the playoff teams. That being said, they could get hot at the right time. Obviously, Boston can. The Oakland A's could, you see them, when they got on a roll, they could beat anybody. The Astros are the defending champs, and Boston is the best record. So right now, there are 13 out of 30 teams that have a legitimate chance to be the team that's jumping up and down, hugging each other, and winning a world championship. And that's something I want to talk about, because we're speaking in terms of franchises. And normally when I do this, I speak in terms of franchises and what it means to the individual teams. What it means to the Red Sox to win another. What it would mean for the Astros to win back-to-back. For Billy Bean to finally have a champion in Oakland, to finally get the monkey off the back for the Milwaukee Brewers or for the Colorado Rockies and blah, 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 blah. But there's also the individual elements of a championship. And I was thinking about it. Your pal Sully was thinking about it. And I realized there are two categories for individual players who are part of a world championship team, who win their ring. They get a ring. There are two categories. And before you start pondering too much, you got to think like a sociologist. And what do I mean by that? A sociologist usually says something that when they say it out loud, you go, well, yeah. Well, yeah, I knew that. Yeah. It's my cousin Chris Vioni called sociology the science of the obvious. So what would be the two categories of players who win a world championship? There are two. A player who this is their first championship and a player who this is their second or multiple championships. Players who've won it before, players who haven't won it before. Those are your two categories. And you tend to think about a champion. Oh, this superstar won their ring, finally. Or, hey, they're adding on to their legacy. There you go. But what I was thinking about today, as my brain goes to some of these places is there are subsets within those categories. For the first-time champion and for the repeat champions, 
there are subsets in terms of how we see someone and how we look at them getting their title. And so what that means is I'm going to break down what some of these subsets are, and you are going to see in October some of the players I'm going to mention are going to be experiencing the bliss of a championship and having it affect their legacy in slightly different ways. Now, the first category I'm going to talk about is called the king is crowned. Now, this happens, and this is the most glorious moment in the World Series, in any World Series. This is the moment. And what the moment is, here is a player who is in their prime, a star player at their peak, winning their first championship. That is crowning the king. That is when Larry Bird and Magic Johnson won. That is when Jordan won. That is when LeBron won. That is when Tom Brady won. That is when Greg Maddox finally won. When you have a player say, you are a player at the top of your game and we're putting the crown on top of your head. Schilling and Johnson in 2001. Jose Altuve and Carlos Correa last year. Chris Bryant the year before that. When that happens, that is the, cr- the crowning achievement. Where you have a player who is at their peak and now a champion. Of which at that moment you realize, you have no ammo against me. You've got nothing against me. When I win this title, when Albert Pujols was on the 2006 St. Louis Cardinals, he was the best offensive player in baseball and now a champion. Come at me. You got nothing. And that crowning when it happens is the moment that that player can just sort of look on and say like, I am... You know, that's DiCaprio at the front of the boat saying, I'm the king of the world, except none of these guys are going to be frozen to death holding onto a door. God, that helicopter is everywhere. So I was thinking about this. Who are the players who will be the crowned kings that if the World Series ends and their team wins, will be looking and said, oh man, they're at the top of their game and now they're a champion. They rule baseball. You know, with the Red Sox, I mean, you have a pair of MVP candidates, Mookie Betts and J.D. Martinez, and you have the potential Cy Young Award winner in Chris Sale. If the Red Sox win the World Series, you are crowning Mookie Betts and putting him alongside all the great Red Sox in the, of, of all time, and you're looking at J.D. Martinez and Chris Sale as possibly the greatest acquisitions in the history of the Red Sox. I mean, think about when the Red Sox won in 04, all the stars won that, but you're putting the crown on Pedro's head, put it on Poppy's head, put it on Ramirez's head. I mean, that's what that's like. If it's the Yankees, it's Giancarlo Stanton, former MVP, now could be a world champion. You can also say Aaron Judge, but I'll get to him in a second. If it's Cleveland, there are really three players. There's Francisco Lindor and Jose Ramirez, who are both should be in the MVP conversation. And Corey Kluber, who is putting together a potential Hall of Fame resume. Now, if he had won Game 7 of the World Series in 2016, he would be a much more compelling Hall of Fame resume. I'll get to that in a second. 
you have the A's are tricky, but the way Chris Davis has become an elite slugger, to have him also be, and I think he should be at least in the conversation. I don't think he should win the MVP, but he should be top five. He is one of the big stars in baseball right now, and to have him be a champion would at least make people notice him. The Braves have Freddie Freeman, a multiple all-star through the years, stuck with the team despite the rebuilding, and to have him be a champion now would put him amongst the Braves' greats. Uh, the Phillies with Aaron Nola, you know, he's you know, if, certainly a big Cy Young contender this year, and if he wins the World Series the same year he's a big Cy Young contender, there you go, you're crowning the king. The Brewers is a little interesting because it's Christian Yelich a player who would win his first title, who was a recent acquisition, but having a tremendous year, has had a great career. Kind of a similar thing with L.A. and Manny Machado, who spent his entire career in Baltimore, but you put the crown on his head even if it's in L.A. Same with Clayton Kershaw, who would now belong amongst all the greats in L.A. history. The Cardinals have their MVP candidate, Matt Carpenter. Now, is he going to be a Hall of Famer or something? No, but he's having an MVP caliber season. If you have that plus winning a championship, it's kind of like the way that it was when Hershiser won the World Series. It's like, this is his year. You know, the Rockies have one of their great players of all time, Nolan Arenado, who's having a great year, and Trevor Story, who I, I think it's a reach to put him on there, but Arenado is certainly an MVP candidate. Um, and the Diamondbacks with their greatest hitter of all time, Paul Goldschmidt, to win a championship, to be your franchise player, potential Hall of Famer. It's basically saying, now all I got to do is pile up the numbers and I'm in Cooperstown. So for one of those players, or, or, or in the case of the Red Sox, multiple players, this will be their crowning achievement. This will be the moment that I now no longer have anything to answer for. I'm one of the best players in baseball and I've got a title to go with it. That's the crowning achievement. Now, another category would be the former king gets his title. Now, let me explain what that means. This is for a player who may no longer be an elite player, but at one point was. At one point was a Cy Young Award winner, an MVP, a consistent all-star, and now is a good player or maybe a role player who is getting an overdue ring, kind of like Verlander was last year, although he wound up becoming a, you know, he's, he's gone back to becoming elite. Or Carlos Beltran, who was a part-time player by the end for the Astros and got his ring. You know, you got players like Andrew McCutcheon with the Yankees or Josh Donaldson, Edward Encarnacion, Carlos Gonzalez, Matt Kemp, Zach Grinke, who's still a really great pitcher for Arizona. I mean, that's that kind of a player. Most players, I call, will get the gold watch. Their ring is the gold watch. You've had a good, solid career. You're not a Hall of Famer. You're not a superstar. You're a good player who may may be an all-star, may just be really good. Here you go. Your career has been rewarded. You know, the Eduardo Nunez's of the world, the Masahiro Tanaka's of the world, who is an all-star, not a Hall of Famer, but, you know, put the ring on his finger. You know, the Jason Kipnis's, the Garrett Coles, the Carlos Carrasco's, the Jonathan Lucroy's, the Stephen Piscotti's, the Nick Markakis is a great example, someone who is having a wonderful career, and this would finally put the championship thing on his, uh, his resume. 
you know, Curtis Granderson had a long, distinguished career. Couple of appear, you know, a couple of pennant winners along the way. Oh, he gets his ring finally. You know, nice, there's your gold watch for you. You know, there's your gold watch, Rich Hill. There's your gold watch, you know, uh, Ian Desmond. That sort of thing. Another category of the first-time winners would be getting it done early. These are the players who are super young in the early stage of their career. Now think about, I mean, these are, you know, Red Sox would have Andrew Benatendi. This is where I'd put the Yankees' Aaron Judge, who was the rookie of the year last year. If they wins a ring, all of a sudden he gets that out of the way. Um, and the Yankees have a ton of players like that, like Labor Torres and Didi Gregorius and everything. Um, this would be where Matt Chapman would exist for the A's. The Braves would have a ton of guys like like um, uh, Ronald Acuna and Dansby Swanson and Sean Newcomb. The Phillies would also have a ton. The Michael Francos, the Adubo Herreras. Um, the Cardinals have a bunch of young players, Jordan Hicks and, and um, Luke Weaver and them. Uh, the Dodgers have some young players, obviously. Uh, Muncie, Bueller. Uh, Cody Bellinger, and there's a few on the Diamondbacks like Kittel Marte and Archie Bradley. But think about the players who get their rings early. Get that out of the way. Derek Jeter won his ring super early in his career. He was, he was a rookie. Buster Posey got out of the way. Madison Bumgarner got out of the way. Like Chris Bryant got in his second year. Uh, a Bregman of the Astros got it done out of the way. And you look at some players who are like had great careers, like Nolan Ryan and Cal Ripken Jr. got their championship. That got that out of the way early. Miguel Cabrera got it out of the way. It's never on anyone's mind when you think about their legacy because they got it out of the way early. Someone in those of those names I just listed are going to get it out of the way. Now there's a much more complicated category called the redeemed. And these are players who have had either a high profile or maybe not as high profile, but I'm sure it sticks with them, postseason failure that hangs over them. The way that, like, you know, it, hang, it hung over Tim Wakefield, you know, giving up the Aaron Boone home run. That, you know, the, the, the Kirk Gibson home run hung over Dennis Ackersley. Still does to a degree. That a championship won for a player who had a famous fall or being criticized for their lack of production in the postseason, that winning a ring would erase that. Justin Verlander had that. Remember, Justin Verlander bombed badly in the 2006 and 2012 World Series. Two World Series the Tigers were expected to win, especially 2006. And Verlander did not perform well in those World Series. And his participation in leading the Astros to the World Championship last year erased that for him. He no longer has that on his resume, the postseason failures. Now, for people like David Price, for people like Kluber, who has lost a couple of very big games, including do-or-die games in the 2016 World Series and last year's Division Series, in both instances he pitched poorly with a team to that where the Indians had a chance to win big. And, of course, Clayton Kershaw, who's a Hall of Famer. But the, the failures of his in the postseason hang over him like a, like a dark cloud. So those are, that's how I break down the players who this will be their first championship. Ah, but there's that other category which to have subsets, which are the players who have already won. 
Because that happens too. There'll be players jumping up and down that this is it. We finally won their title. And then there'll be those who go, yeah, I'm adding to my collection. Well, there are different categories in that group too. Now, the first one, and this one is the most unique. Is that correct, mom? My mom's listening to this now. The most unique. I don't know. I, I, think, I think I just said something wrong. And I think I'm going to hear about it later. The legacy builders. This is a star, a player who's been a, either a current star or a former star, who is winning multiple rings with the same team. These are when you compound your legacy, the way that Jeter and Bernie Williams and all them won multiple titles and became you know, superstars in that way, the way that Buster Posey and Madison Bumgarner won multiple titles with that team. And so it added to that, it will add to their legacy when you review what they meant to the team, said, and they led the team to multiple world championships. Boom. Dustin Pedroia is that way with the Red Sox. Now, you'd have CeCe Sabathia would be that for the Yankees. You would have, the Astros would have Altuve, would have Correa, would have Bregman, would have George Springer, and would have Verlander. Would all be superstars who compound their legacy of multiple titles with the Astros. The Cubbies would have Chris Bryant. They would have Javier Baez, who could very well be the MVP this year. And you'd have John Lester, who's won multiple rings with the Red Sox and multiple years with the, the Cubs if they happen to win. And the Cardinals would have Yadier Molina adding to his. This would be his third ring with the Cardinals. And you'd have Adam Wainwright, who isn't much of a participant in this, but would add to his legacy if he shows up a little bit. Another subset of the multiple winners is the, what I call the franchise legend. And this is different. This is different from the names I just listed. Those are all stars, elites, MVP candidates, Cy Young candidates, multiple all-stars. Then there are the players who have won multiple championships with their team. And they're not the stars, they're not the biggest players, but because they've won multiple titles with that team, you can look at them as, do you know what? They're going to be beloved forever by that franchise. You know, for, if, like for example, um, Jackie Bradley Jr. was part of the 2013 Red Sox. He didn't play in the postseason, but he was part of that team. Xander Bogarts, he's not the biggest star of the Red Sox, but he was part, he played in the 2013 World Series. If he wins now, it's a second one. He'll be beloved forever as a Red Sox. That's an example right there. Uh, Brett Gardner and David Robertson with the Yankees would be an example, winning multiple titles. They've never been the biggest stars in the Yankees, but hey, we won multiple rings with the Yankees. Ah, The Astros obviously have a ton of them. You know, Gurriel, Reddick, Gaddis, McCann, Dallas Keuchel, Brad Peacock, Charlie Morton, all those guys, you know, there's about nine or ten of them. Is it that you'd be able to put in that? The Cubs are in a similar situation with you know Rizzo and Schwarber and and Zobrist and Kyle Hendricks and Mike Montgomery who clinched the World Series and everything. So those are those would be the guys who would be called. I'm calling the franchise legends. All right. Now one of my favorite categories that I came up with is called the Johnny Appleseeds, and this is the player who has won rings, multiple rings, with different franchises and contributed big to each one. This is 
The way Lonnie Smith kept showing up, no matter where he goes, they would win the championship. The way Reggie Jackson was huge, won the MVP with both the A's and the Yankees, and you know when they won their World Series. You know, this is that sort. You know, uh, uh, you know, uh, this sort of multiple titles. The way that John Lackey won big games for World Championships with the Angels, with the Red Sox, and with the Cubs. So wherever they go, they bring World Championships with them. Now the potential Johnny Appleseeds would be the Jay Haps and the the Aroldis Chapmans. I hate to say it. Jake Arrieta with the Phillies, Cole Hamels. That's that. That's probably the best example. If he plays a big part in the Cubs winning a championship, the fact that he was a World Series and playoff MVP with the Phillies, and ten years later participates in the Cubs championship, that's being a Johnny Appleseed. Lorenzo Kane and Mike Mustakis with the Brewers, that's being a Johnny Appleseed. They won the title with Kansas City and they come to Milwaukee and do the same thing over there. Wade Davis with the Rockies, you know, obviously Davis is a huge contributor to the Kansas City. Uh, Clay Buckles, old friend from the Red Sox, big player, no hitter with the 2007 World Series champions, was an all-star in 2013 when the Red Sox won the world championship. If he helps the Diamondbacks win, he's being a Johnny Appleseed. And being a Johnny Appleseed, where you contribute big to multiple franchises winning championship, is different from the final category, which is being a Forrest Gump. Now, a Forrest Gump means you are on multiple franchises winning a championship, but you aren't one of the star players. You're a role player. You're a middle reliever. You're coming off the bench. The best example I can think of this is Javier Lopez, former left-handed pitcher, was part of the 2007 world champion Red Sox and then on three different world champion San Francisco Giant teams. Or Eric Hinsky, who was a pinch hitter for the 2007 Red Sox and the 2009 Yankees. That, you know, they just keep popping up. David Ross was a backup catcher for the 2013 Red Sox and the 2016 Cubs. You know, participated, but was not. He was a Forrest Gump. He popped up in both places. And in that case, you would have a Melky Cabrera, who is now a, you know, looks like he's part-time outfielder for the Indians. Hector Rondon with the Astros would be an example. Mike Fires, Edwin Jackson, and Yasmero Petit. With the A's, uh, I'm going to be mean and say Matt Holiday, but you know he won a ring with the Cardinals, and now he's a bench player for the Rockies. So I'm sorry that would be force gumping it a little bit. Uh, Ryan Madsen would be that for the Dodgers, and so would Chase Utley, basically, who is a part-time player now and coming off the bench, and John Jay and Daniel Descalso with the Diamondbacks. But the main thing that people will remember. When the world champ, so but those are those are the categories. Those are the the two categories: is first time champion and multiple champion, and the subsets: king is crown, former king gets their title, gold watch, getting it done early, the redeemed, and the categories for repeat are legacy builders, franchise legend, Johnny Appleseeds, and Forrest Gumps. And you can probably fit every single champion on the team into one of those categories. And the things that people will remember the most would be the King is crowned and one of those players that I listed 
is going to have that moment. And there's going to be a little lump in your throat when you realize, man, they are at the top of their game and they're winning their title. Or the legacy builder, where you just look at them and go, man, they, all they got to do is just pile up numbers because they've won it multiple times. And another lump in your throat will be for the redeemed. Because a player will finally be able to put that bad moment behind them. So while we cheer for the laundry and we cheer for the hats and we cheer for the logos, remember that beyond just redeeming franchises and redeeming fan bases, there's individual redemption, there's individual glory, there's individual crowning, there's individual moments of justifying an entire career. And that, to me, as a fan... Even if my team, the Red Sox, hopefully won't have Stephen Wright on the roster, even if it's not my team winning, and hopefully won't be the Yankees winning, that there'll be reasons to find happiness for someone or some player on said team that's going to be there dancing at the end. There will be a team that wins the 2018 World Championship. It will be one of the 13 teams I listed. One of them will win it. And one of those teams will have a roster full of a king being crowned, former king getting the role, the gold watch, getting it done early, the redeemed, the legacy builder, the franchise legend, the Johnny Appleseed, or the Forrest Gumps. And when that happens, you will see some players look around and realize that they are experiencing not just the wave of happiness of a championship, but a very, very specific form of validation. With that being said, let's have some fun. This is fun. So go to sullybaseball.com, like me on Facebook, subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram, I'm everywhere. You could be old school, send me an email at at info at sullybaseball.com. The music, as always, is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kaliski. Breaking down the ways to categorize a champion, this has been Sully Baseball on the 6th day of September 2018 underneath a helicopter in Pasadena, California. I am your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Did I already say that? I don't know. The helicopter is still distracting me. You can call me Sully.